morning and told them I've got my sermon calendar finished all the way up through the end of November. Uh, between now and the last Sunday in November, we're going to move a massive space of about three chapters <laughs> in this book. Um, Revelation is dense stuff. But while you're turning there, uh, anybody, uh, anybody remember a, a guy named Muhammad Ali? Anybody remember him? Okay, so if you remember Muhammad Ali, uh, finish the sentence. I am the greatest. I am, I am the greatest. I remember hearing, a, hearing a, it, was a, it was an interview with Muhammad Ali, and, and I used to laugh about it so much when I was in college because it was just so comical. Uh, he would tell folks, he would say, I'm bad. He would say, I'm a bad man. He'd say, I am the greatest. It's the famous speech where he says, I float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. You remember, you remember that one? The best, part, the best part of it was a line where he says, I, the other day I was getting ready to go to bed. I turned, out, I turned off the light and I was in the bed before it got dark. He said, I'm that fast. I'm fast. Uh, I, I locked up lightning. I threw thunder in jail. I am the greatest. And there was something about Muhammad Ali being, in his own words, the greatest. It just it stuck with people. That that was just kind of part of his character. That he would everywhere he went, he did not waste any time telling you how great he was. And man, folks ate it up, didn't they? In fact, you, you, even, you can even refer to him. If you talk about boxing and you ask somebody who is the greatest, they're instantly going to answer, Muhammad Ali. Well, why is he the greatest? Well, because he said he was. <laughs> I mean, he was good at what he did, but I don't know that we would remember him as the greatest if he didn't claim the title. And we're so quick. There's, have you ever noticed that, there's, that we as human beings respond when someone makes a claim of superiority? I don't, I don't know how many of y'all... There was, there was a football game last night. I don't know if y'all watched it. It was a small, tiny football game. Happened last night. There were about 15 people in Athens, Georgia watching it. Actually, there were more like 168,000 people in Athens, Georgia, watching it. Jimmy Williams asked me this morning, he said, did you and your wife go up there? And I said, no, you couldn't have paid me to get that close to 160,000 people in that small of an area. It's too much. But if you, if you follow football at all, uh, one of the things that always pricks your ear up is uh, bulletin board material. I mean by bulletin board material, it's when the other team says something about, you know, the guys they're going to play before the game that they probably shouldn't have said. Say, like, oh, they, they slow. Really? They're weak. They can't pass. They can't run. And so what does the other team do? They, they take it and they hang it up in the, in the weight room. They take it they hang it up in the training facility. And if they say, you yeah, can't pass, the other team's going to come out and prove that they can't. That we get invested when somebody says, I'm the best. I'm the great. And we, it's almost like there's a part of us that wants to believe it. 
That we're waiting for somebody who is actually the greatest there has ever been, the greatest there ever will be. And for us as Christians, we know that man. What's his name? Jesus. We know that. That Jesus is actually the greatest. It's not Muhammad Ali. For you hockey people, it's not Wayne Gretzky. He's not the great one. It's not, there's, there's not, uh, you know, Alexander the Great from ancient history. The one who spread Greco-Roman culture throughout the ancient world. We know him as Alexander the Great. He's not the great one. Jesus is the great one. We know that. But for the rest of the world at large, they are still waiting for the greatest. They're still waiting for that one. And in Revelation 13, we see, unfortunately, the unbelieving world find the one that they believe is the greatest. So we're going to spend the next two or three weeks talking about one of the most famous characters in the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. We're going to spend three weeks talking about the Antichrist. So if you will stand for the respect of the reading of God's Word, we're going to read Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Revelation 13, verses 1 through 4. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast who is able to make war with him? Father, I pray that if someone in here does not have a relationship with you through your son Jesus Christ today, Lord, I pray you would save them so that they would not fall under the delusion of worshipping the beast. So in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. So let's talk about what we read just a minute. Uh, I already told you once we hit... Really, chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, things get weird. Um, What do I mean by things get weird? You get a lot of symbolic language. And when I say a lot, buddy, I mean a lot. Um, This does not mean that this is all to be taken as figurative word pictures that real events are not being referenced. Real events are being referenced, but John, the the human author of the book of Revelation, is using symbolic language, or rather is describing what God portrayed to him as symbols of real events. He's, He's just telling us what he saw. He's describing real events in symbolic language. So when you hear a dragon, we're not talking real dragon. We're talking Satan. John told us that in chapter 12. When you hear beast, you're going to see this today. Beast is not a literal beast. It is a human being. Of course, all of us in this room would probably admit that a human being at our worst, we are pretty beastly. We are somewhat like animals. Okay, so beast. Um, This beast that's like a leopard, a bear, and a lion. It doesn't actually mean that he's spotted with a bear's mouth and a lion's mane. That's not what's going on. Uh, There's a lot of figurative language here, but it's all meaningful. And it all describes a terrifying individual known as the Antichrist who 
will be received by the unbelieving world as the greatest human there has ever been. That's the way the unbelieving world will receive him. So I want us to see today in this sermon that the Antichrist is just a future fulfillment of things that go on right now. There are such things as false Christs, false gods in the world. And the God that you worship, we're going to talk about this even more at Youth Night tonight. The God that you worship determines the kind of life that you live. That there are plenty of people who worship gods who think they are atheists. They think they're atheists, but they worship a god. Every single one of us is hardwired to worship something. And if you're not worshiping the one true God, I promise you, you will find something or someone to worship. Well, in chapter 13, Satan realizes this. And Satan takes our human nature and sets out to use it against us. Or at least against the, the, the unbelieving world. So first I want us to see that false Christs, false Christs are new. And I just want us to look at, at verses 1 and 2. Now first, if you look at verse 1, how many of you got confused when I read verse 1? Because your Bible didn't say what I said. Some of your Bibles probably say, Then the dragon stood on the sand of the sea. Right? Anybody, does anybody say the dragon or something like that instead of then I did? Okay, I knew I was going to see some hands. There's a reason for that. Uh, that the New Testament, uh, as, as most of all of you know, was written in Greek. And Greek pronouns can sometimes be confusing. They can sometimes be unclear. If you look at verse 1 in the Greek, the Greek doesn't say, then, uh, then, I, then I, John, or then the dragon. It just says, then he. Who's the he? It doesn't specify. Now, I'm reading out of New King James. Because the Greek doesn't clarify who it is, the best way for me to tell who it's talking about is to look at context. And in context, it makes me believe that the correct reading is it's the dragon that's standing on the side of the sea. It's Satan that's standing on the sand of the sea. The seashore. Now, back in chapter 12, remember this is figurative language. We're not referring to a literal ocean. This is not a picture of somebody rising out of the ocean. That in Psalm chapter 18, you'll see a, a, a great depiction of this. In the Bible, the sea or the flood, if it's used symbolically, typically means wicked, unbelieving people. Wicked, violent, ungodly, the mass of wicked, violent, ungodly people. So what John is depicting here is Satan standing before this mass of unbelieving, ungodly, Christ-denying humanity and almost calling his chosen Antichrist out of it. It's a terrifying scene. That Satan says, of all of the wicked humanity that I have available to me, I'm going to take this one. And I'm going to elevate him. And he is going to be my imitation Christ. And John says that he saw this beast, this, this chosen antichrist by Satan, rising out of the throng of wicked humanity, 
having, now this is where it sounds fantastical, seven heads and ten horns and on his head, horns, ten crowns and on his head, a blasphemous name. This is actually not as hard to interpret as it seems. This is, y'all, if we can get through the slog of verses one and two, the rest of the sermon is simpler. But this is important. So what, what's going on with the seven heads and the crowns and all this? Well, Revelation 17 actually does the heavy lifting interpret, interpreting this for us. This beast that John sees rising out is the fulfillment of a lot of things that have been going on in world history. All seven of the heads on this beast are successive rulers. Chapter 17 of Revelation actually tells us that the first five heads have already come and gone. Five previous world leaders. The sixth head in Revelation 17, John says, is currently. Now, the world power in time of Revelation being written in the late first century would have been Rome. Rome in the first century was notoriously violent toward those who believed, toward Christians. So John says the sixth head of the beast Antichrist is living right now. The seventh one is not yet. The seventh one is the one that we're discussing in the book of Revelation. So, he is a specific world leader. What are the ten horns on his head? In Revelation 17, it tells us that these are ten other world rulers that are subservient to this one great world leader. That they all, derive, they all give their power, their authority. They're puppet kings. They're puppet leaders. So think of these as people who would be rulers over a certain part of a territory, but they're really not the ones who are in charge. Really, it's the beast who's in charge. It's the one main guy. It's the Antichrist, Satan's chosen one. He's actually running the show, and they're just kind of his henchmen. And on his head's a blasphemous name. This world leader does not... Have you ever noticed every four years, it's almost like people that you never hear talk about God start talking about Him when they want your vote? Have you ever noticed that? And then once of it, and I'm not saying this is just on one side, okay? I don't like to be political. They have a lot of fake Christians with R's by their names, just like they're fake Christians with the D beside their name, okay? But they play the game. They talk about God and oh God, we want God to bless this country. They're not, they're not going to talk about God for another four years. But they will when they need to vote. This guy doesn't even play the game. Says a blasphemous name was written on his head that he doesn't even pretend to have respect for God. Now you might think, how in the world is this guy going to get away with convincing people? Sheer brute force. That's how. Have you ever noticed that humanity is drawn to strength? We're drawn to strong people. We enjoy watching feats of strength. And we respect somebody when they do something strong that no one else can do. And they almost do it by their own force of will. Well, when John tells us that the beast he saw was like a leopard and his feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion, this is taken almost directly from Daniel chapter 7. 
Now, I did not put this on your handout, but I want to go read to you exactly what, uh, what Daniel said in Daniel chapter 7 um, so that you can, you can hear how terrifying, um, how terrifying this last beast is. Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 2. If you wanted to flip over there and hear it. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. I'm not going to get into the symbolism there. I just want you to see lion. And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear. It was raised up on its side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. He's violent. And thus said to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard. See the other three? Which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Again, not getting into the symbolism. But listen to verse 7. After this I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast. Dreadful and terrible. Exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. That's this guy. Every other leader that has ever come before. I want you to think throughout world history. Can you think of some pretty horrible world leaders? I can think of one. He's named Adolf. You ever thought about Adolf, how terrible Adolf Hitler was? What about Mussolini, Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin? Do you know that the Assyrian Empire in the Old Testament, one of the great world empires in history, do you know that the, I've got children in here, so I won't tell you the types of things that they did to terrify their enemies. But let's just say that they launched things out of catapults into cities that a few minutes before they were launched could probably have seen where they were. They did that on a regular basis. What John is saying and what Daniel is saying is this last Antichrist is going to conquer by brute strength and force of will. And people are going to listen. But this Antichrist, even as violent as he is, as horrible as he is, you can look back through world history and you can see others like him, can't you? Lesser, but like him. The Antichrist is nothing new. False Christs are nothing new. People looking for someone to solve their problems is nothing new. When Adolf came to power in Germany in World War II, people didn't look at his violence. They didn't look at what he was suggesting. All they looked at was the fact that Germany was in ruins and they needed someone to come save them and they needed someone to stand up and make their, their, their people whole again. And Adolf stepped up and said, I know how to do this. And they followed him. A people who are hurting and a people who are scared are quick to believe someone that, that you think they have the answer to your problems. 
It has always worked and it will continue to work. 1 John 2.18 says, Little children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By which we know it's that hour. There have been many Antichrists. That's just the last one. Now he's not alive and walking the earth right now that we know of. So Josh, why are you preaching to me about this? Why are you warning me about an Antichrist who's not here? Well, if people will listen to that Antichrist that will come, I don't want you to listen to the Antichrists that are already here, that John says are already here. Well, Josh, what is an Antichrist? How, how do I know? Here's how you identify an Antichrist. Someone who purports to be the one you've always been waiting for. The solution to your problems. If you'll just follow me, I can make everything right. Don't worry about what you don't worry about the righteousness before God that you'll have to compromise to follow me. Just follow me and I promise you everything will be okay. Put your trust in me. You don't need you don't need the church. You don't need God. You don't need Jesus. Sure, pay him lip service if you want to, but really follow me. Identify with me. Be part of my people. And I'll lead you to the promised land. I'm not talking about any one specific type of person. I'm talking about <clears throat> that, that friend who tells you, man, you're missing out on the good stuff. Why are you depriving yourself of this? Come with me. Enjoy this. That church isn't anything, but it's, it's boring. It's shackles on you. It's keeping you from enjoying stuff. Man, God doesn't want you to have any good stuff. Did God really say you shouldn't enjoy this? I can think of someone who asked the question one time, did God really say? It was the serpent in the Garden of Eden. It's the devil. Come on. You don't need to you don't need to you don't need to, to, to date one of those nice Christian girls, one of those nice Christian boys. They're boring. They're not gonna have any fun. You need to come with me. You don't need any of that. Come on, you're not gonna get that promotion if you do that. Listen to me, I know what you gotta do to get to, to get a bigger paycheck. Just follow me. Just trust me. I know what to do. Antichrist. The solution to your problems presented to you like a gift with a bow tied up on it. But it's not Jesus. Y'all, Jesus is going to... Listen to me. Jesus is going to cost you some fun. There are some fun things that following Jesus is going to keep you from doing. The Bible never says that sin is not fun, by the way. Sin is fun. But it's destructive. And it'll kill you. But there are plenty of antichrists that will lead you head on into it and make you think that it's the solution to your problems. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 4, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. I am what you've been waiting on. I am what you need. 
and will deceive many. Don't be deceived. Whatever it is you think you need, if it's not Jesus, you're wrong. Whoever it is you think you need, if it's not Jesus, you are wrong. Occasionally in our family, Emily and I will say this to each other, I love you more than anybody else except Jesus. Do you know that my wife is not of first importance to me? Jesus is. Do you know that I am not of first importance to my wife? Jesus is. But here's the kicker. If, you love Je- if I love Jesus well, I will love her well. If she loves Jesus well, she will love me well. But the minute that I think she's of first she is everything. Don't worry about Jesus. She is everything. I am now worshiping a false God. Any of us can do it. False Christs are nothing new. And then second, false Christs are demonic. I want you to look at verse 3. So we've already seen that false Christs are nothing new. This Antichrist that we see in Revelation chapter 13 is just the latest and the final version of a long line of false Christs. But why do people believe this one in a way that they've never believed any of the other ones? And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed. Now, that's the New King James Version of it. But I went back and I took the Greek and I translated the the words. I wanted to know what those words mean. Because when I looked at all my different English translations, they all had different ways of rendering it. I saw mortal wound. I saw fatal wound. I saw all kinds of things. The most literal way I could translate the Greek was, and one of the heads was like it had been slaughtered to death. This guy didn't just get badly hurt. Scripture says he got killed. And yet somehow he was healed. What's going on? Let me ask you this as a Christian. Those of you who have a relationship with Christ in here. What is the single greatest reason that you believe in Jesus? What's the one thing He did that is the most convincing to you? Resurrection. I heard it. Listen. I, I stake my career, my honor, my integrity... My office is pastor on this. If you can prove to me that there is a body laying somewhere in the Middle East that is the body of Jesus of Nazareth, I will hang this up, give this Bible away to somebody who wants it right now, and I will quit being a Christian. Because if Jesus is dead, there's no point in us being here. But why is there a point in us being here? He's alive. So if Jesus is alive... It doesn't matter if I don't understand everything about how all of this works. Spoiler alert, I don't. Okay? I do a lot of studying, but I won't understand how all of it works until I get to glory. But if I ever reach something I don't understand, and I go, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense to me. I always go back to, you trust the guy who rose from the dead. Okay? Easy. 
Satan has had trouble with this forever because it doesn't matter. When Satan finds a way to threaten a Christian, even so much with death, a Christian can go, is that the worst you can do? You're just going to kill me? Jesus holds the keys to death and hell. Why am I afraid of death? So Satan figures, huh? A resurrection's pretty convincing. Maybe I should get me one of those. His chosen Antichrist is fatally wounded in verse 3. Now, if someone is fatally wounded, what does that mean they do? They die. If they're not fatally wounded, then they live. In that case, it's not a fatal wound. It's just a bad one. But you don't typically heal from a fatal wound. The only way to be healed from a fatal wound is to come back to life. But then this presents another problem. Jesus says, He is the resurrection and the life. Jesus holds the key to death and hell. Or death and the grave, as the New Testament would say in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 1, actually. Jesus says He holds the keys to death in the grave. Satan doesn't have the authority to bring somebody back from the dead. He can't do it. Like everything else Satan does, this is a lie. This is a fake. It is a fake resurrection of a fake Christ in order to be convincing to the rest of the world. Because look at what happens after his deadly wound is healed. All the world marvels and follows the beast. It is this fake resurrection. How did Satan do it? Well, I'll tell you how. Revelation chapter 17. Flip a couple pages over. Y'all, this book's hard to preach. I'm just be honest. <laughs> There's a lot in here. Revelation chapter 17. There's an angel explaining to John what he saw. In verse 11, talks about the Antichrist and says, The beast that was, he lived, he was alive, and is not alive, is himself of the seven kings, also the eighth. Wait a minute. How can somebody be one of the seven, seven, one of seven people and also be the eighth, but still be one of the seven? How can someone die one person and rise a different one? I think the easiest explanation for this is a fake resurrection carried out by demonic possession. Satan fakes a resurrection by indwelling his Antichrist himself. The same way, not quite the same way, that Jesus united God with man in the incarnation. He is our God-man. The Antichrist is an unholy mixture of a human being and Satan himself. Now I don't care who you've ever followed in your life, I promise you, you ain't never had a leader that bad. 
Say, Pastor, this is kooky. Pastor, this is weird. How am I supposed to believe this? That's exactly what everybody who follows him says when the Christians warn them. That's crazy. You really think? Yes, I really do. Because that's what Scripture seems to say. And the world sees this fake resurrection and says, Wow, this is marvelous. This is incredible. Almost like we say when we see the resurrected Christ. You're telling me that you're not going to follow this guy? He rose from the dead. But he didn't really. He didn't really. It's a fake. It's a lie. It's another satanic deception. It's demonic. Satan never convinces you with the truth. Satan always convinces you with a well-told, well-executed lie. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, The Spirit expressly says, In latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That there are plenty of... Things that sound reasonable, that reasons you should not trust Christ, reasons you should not follow Jesus, that Satan has been deceiving people with reasonable sounding explanations since the Garden of Eden. This is his piece de resistance. This is his best piece of art. A false resurrection. First John 2.22 says, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies both the Father and the Son. Listen, anyone who claims to be a good replacement for God is operating in the spirit of Antichrist and is behaving demonically. I'm about to say something pretty strong. It might be offensive. Fair warning, but I'm not sorry for it. When someone makes a good case for why you don't need to go to church, you don't need to listen to that preacher, you don't need to be involved, you don't need to worry about being a Christian, the big man upstairs, he loves all of us. We're all his children. Don't worry about it. You're going to be fine. You've got a limited time on this earth. You enjoy yourself. Don't you want to do this instead? You can go to church any Sunday, but this Sunday is the only Sunday you can do this. Why are you going to do this whole thing? You going to be baptized? Man, what do you think they're doing by dunking you in some water? Oh, you want to be part of that group? Are you sure you want to be about part of that group? Those bunch of goody two-shoes. Don't you know that all churches are full of hypocrites? Come on. You do a lot better sticking with us. That's demonic. Did you just tell me my friends are demonic? If they're doing that? Yes. I did. I know some of y'all are old school Baptists and don't like playing cards, but your pastor's going to call a spade a spade. Anyone or anything 
who makes an argument for why you should replace God with something else is demonic. And y'all, there are reasonable arguments out there that sound reasonable. But they're not. Satan has been doing this since the dawn of time. It never turns out differently. You know what the greatest advantage of being a Christian is when you talk to somebody who tells you Christianity is dumb and you should live their way? You can look at them and say, how's that working out for you? Well, it's working out great. Keep living. Keep living. Yeah, it's way better to be in the bottom of a bottle and drunk and broke. Yeah, it's way better to be uh, just strung out and sick and infected. It's way better to have your family torn apart by adultery. It's way better to do... No, it's not. No, it's not. You know what I used to tell my youth when I was, in, when I was a youth pastor before I got here? And by the way, most of, most of them went to a Christian school. So don't think that this is just like, that you're immune to this if you go to a Christian school. Okay? Parents, one of the worst things you can do is send your kids to a Christian school and then not invest in them spiritually because you think that's their teacher's job. Because a lot of parents send their kids to that Christian school and, and don't invest in their children spiritually at all. And you end up with situations like this. I said, you know what? You know what every cool kid from when I was in high school has in common in 2019? They're still the cool kids in high school. They, they never grew out of it. They never changed. They're still the same people. There's been no personal growth there. They laughed at me then. They're laughing at me now. But I'm living the dream. Jesus has picked me up and put me exactly where He wants me to be, doing exactly what He wants me to do, and I'm having a blast doing it. I love being pastor at Stapleton Baptist. And there are people back where I grew up who still think that I'm a little nerd. I'm not. I'm a bigger nerd, but I'm happy. I'm fulfilled. Man, do you really want to just live a dead-end, unchanging, sinful, depraved, and eventually destructive life? Or do you want to follow Jesus? I promise you, the longer you live, the more apparent it is that Jesus has it right. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay, take you farther than you want to go, and keep you longer than you want to stay there. Every single one of us in this room is about five seconds from stupid and you can make a decision in five seconds that will change the rest of your life and Satan wants you to do it. And he'll do it by sending you a very convincing, demonic, false Christ explaining to you why their way is better. This Antichrist is just the ultimate version of it, but there are people out there doing it now. 
False Christs are nothing new. False Christs are demonic. And then finally, false Christs are convincing. That one of his heads appeared to be mortally wounded. The dragon gives him all of his authority. The dragon gave him all of his authority and all the people bow down to him. Uh, and they worship him. And they say, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? He is the greatest. Let me tell you something that's really scary. And why they do that. If you go back in Luke 4, Satan tempted Jesus when Jesus came to earth. The Holy Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness where Satan met him and tempted him. And in Luke 4 verses 5 through 8, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Church, did Jesus bow and worship Satan? No. He did not. He said, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. The difference between Jesus and Antichrist is when Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan, this Antichrist falls on his face before Satan and says, My Lord and my God, give all of it to me. And Satan does. Unfortunately, everyone who does not know Christ is under the sway of Satan. I'm going off book right now, but I need to. Not off book, off script. Ephesians chapter 2 says... And you, 2 verse 1 says, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Here's the absolute scary truth. If you don't know Jesus, if, you don't, if you're not a Christian, if you're not saved, you know who is calling the shots in your life? Satan is. I'm not under the rulership of Satan. Sure you are. Sure you are. Absolutely you are. And one of the reasons for this is, well, what reason do I have to believe Jesus? I've never seen Jesus do anything. I've never seen Jesus make a difference in my life. But man, if I could see somebody rise from the dead, Satan's like, really? If you could see someone rise from the dead, you'd follow them. That can be arranged. And they all see the beast whom the dragon has given his power and his authority. And they say, who is like the beast and who can make war with him? False Christs, y'all, are very, very, very convincing. John 11.25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. 
Revelation 1, 17 and 18 says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I am he. I am the one. I have the keys of Hades and death. Why is it that people fall for Antichrist? If you don't stand for nothing, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for what? Anything. Do you know that when the Secret Service learns how to catch counterfeit money, they don't study the fakes? They study the real thing. And they study it so closely that anytime they see something that is not the real thing, they can immediately identify it, no matter how different it is. No matter in what way it is. They know the real thing so well that they're not convinced by the fake. If you don't know Jesus, you will be convinced by a fake. I want you to know Christ. I don't want you to be convinced by a demonic fake that Satan has sent to convince you. You don't need Jesus. You don't need that church. You don't need that life. All you need is to follow me. I'll make you happy. I'll make you, conf- I'll make you fulfilled. I'll keep you from feeling lonely. I'll keep your country afloat. I'll keep your job afloat. Just follow me. Just leave that behind. Just come follow me. Demonic, convincing Antichrist. There's one coming, but there are plenty right now. So how is it that you prevent yourself from falling into that trap? How is it that you prevent yourself from falling for a faith? Get the real thing. Get the real thing. Get Jesus. He's waiting right now to forgive you. Every single person in this room has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you are dead in your trespasses and sin, walking according to the prince of the power of the air and the lust of your flesh today if you have not trusted Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not your king, Satan is. But you have a way to leave the dominion of darkness and be brought into the kingdom of the Son of His love right now this morning if you will just confess your sin to God and say, Have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, your blood is enough for me. I want to talk with you about how you can do that. But you've got to let me know. You've got a few ways you can do that. You can come down this aisle and say, Pastor, I need to talk to you about giving my life to Christ. I'll set up a time uh, either today, maybe this afternoon, this evening, this week, we can talk about that. If walking down the aisle freaks you out, then just, you got a guest card on the side of your bulletin. Uh, you can fill that out, drop that in the offering plate when it comes by, and I will follow up with you. Or, you can, I would say you can catch me at the back door, but I'm not going to be back there today because I have a little tiny meeting with some people. So, um, that could happen. But, you got those other two ways you can catch me uh, today. So, I'm going to pray. We are going to stand together and sing a new invitation. It's going to be hymn number 300. Um, and if you need to come, I want you to come. Okay? Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for being the real thing. Thank you for being a Christ that we can depend on, that we can trust. Lord, I pray as you work in this invitation, Lord, I pray for somebody out here who's fallen under the sway of the false Christ. He's been lying to them and convincing them that they are what they are what I am. That I am what you need. That if you'll just follow me, don't worry about Jesus. Don't worry about the church. Don't worry about the Bible. Don't worry about righteousness. Don't worry about the cross. Just worry about me. I'll take care of you. 
where if anybody is following the sway of someone like that, I pray you would break them free today and you would bring them to salvation in you and you would set them free. Jesus, we love you. I pray that you bless this time of invitation. To your name we pray. Amen. Hymn number three, honey. Stand with me. Thank you.